Welcome to Healthy Dialogue, the podcast of the Alliance of Community Health Plans. Here's your host, ACHB CEO, Cece Connolly. Next week, President Biden will deliver his State of the Union address and lay out his administration's priorities for 2022. And with Congress deadlocked on most things, executive and regulatory actions may be where the health care action is this year. Yes, we are still in the midst of a pandemic, and none of us, including policymakers, can quite escape the ongoing challenges coronavirus poses. But we at the Alliance of Community Health Plans have been itching to move forward. So we're back in the recording studio, aka my office, for a special edition of the Healthy Dialogue podcast, focused on an issue that, while important to many Americans, may not be the topic of CNN post-speech focus groups next week. It's a central theme in many of the administration's health priorities, value in healthcare. Now, I freely admit that a lot of us in the healthcare business like to toss around the word value as if it means the same thing to you as it does to me. The truth is, value is one of those relative words that various players define differently. Consumers tend to equate value with price, often in an upside-down sort of way. Polls consistently show that Americans believe more expensive care is better care. But we know that's not the case, not if you look at the evidence. For me, it's the simple proposition of getting our money's worth. And no matter who you are or how you define value in healthcare, we can probably all agree that at 20% of the nation's GDP, we are not even close to realizing true value in our health system. I'm so excited to be joined today by Dr. Mandy Cohen. She's the former secretary of North Carolina's Department of Health and Human Services, former chief operating officer of CMS, and in March, she will be the new EVP and CEO of Allidade Care Solutions, which explores value-based care approaches in primary care. I'm so excited to reconnect with Mandy as we dive deeper into the strategies designed to deliver value to all stakeholders. Dr. Mandy Cohen, welcome to this special edition of Healthy Dialogue, and congratulations on your new role. Well, thanks, Cece, for having me. I'm, I'm excited um, about this transition, but what a, a tremendous honor uh, to serve in, in the public sector for so long. I'm, I'm very grateful. And, and we are grateful for all of your years of service. I'm going to jump right in here with a bit of a gnarly question, I suppose, but if anybody can come up with a good answer, I bet it's you. We're discussing value, and I would love to know your thoughts on some common sense solutions to our really fragmented healthcare system that might be able to garner some bipartisan support. Well, what a great question to start with. Obviously, I've spent the last five years in North Carolina in a purple state, right? I worked for a Democratic governor, but had a Republican supermajority at first in our General Assembly. We really worked, we had to work in collaboration and find those places of alignment. And you'll remember North Carolina is a non-expansion Medicaid state, so we didn't agree on expanding coverage, though I still think that is so, so important. But what we did do in the five years that I was in North Carolina was transition our Medicaid program 
over to managed care. We were the largest state that hadn't done it. And what we founded that transition in is value. And there was a lot of bipartisan support for the way we constructed that value around whole person health and whole person care. And that meant a few things. One is a big investment in primary care and recognizing that you needed a quarterback to help navigate our uh, patients through the crazy uh, healthcare system, that you needed to integrate physical and behavioral health together. That was a big component of what we did in North Carolina in our transition. And then lastly, you needed to think beyond the four walls of a clinic or a hospital and think about what really drives health and that that efficiency, um, and then put it all in a context of aligned incentives. And that's what we really talk about around value, is how do you get the incentives where you can keep someone healthy, and that is what is financially rewarded as opposed to just doing more. Um, so I saw a lot of bipartisan support for that. We spent a lot of time with the, our Republican colleagues in the General Assembly on building that program. Um, it supported bipartisan, uh, that, that transition, and and uh, I think that those are the things, as you as you bridge to the federal side, um, that we need to continue to work on and have bipartisan support. Terrific. Now, as hopefully, knock on wood somewhere, we're, we're moving out of this pandemic mode. I'd love to talk a little bit about unnecessary or low value care. We have all seen the estimates of uh, phenomenal sums of money, you know, maybe a trillion dollars now in our health system that's waste. And when you think back to your experience in the federal government, what can the administration do to really advance these goals of high value care, reducing the waste, and as, as you mentioned, the right incentives? Well, I think we have learned so much in the last 10 years. I had the pleasure of being there at the very, very early days of the CMS Innovation Center, the launch of the MSSP program at CMS. Um, and so I, there's been such great learning. And now we have a lot of data to show where should we go next. And particularly what we're showing works is when you align incentives and frankly, you put doctors in the uh, in the quarterback position. And particularly, we're seeing success around physician-led ACOs. It's not surprising why when I looked to transition out of the public sector, I was really interested because I saw the evidence of what was working. So I think that there is more that the administration can do to help folks start taking steps down that value journey. It's not easy. It does take a lot of change, and the status quo bias is really intense. Um, but there are ways to make sure that we are, are having our many, many, many independent primary care docs, as well as our health system, start to take that journey to value, keeping the foot on the gas of those kinds of policies, using the MSSP program, which is it's not a demonstration. It is an, an authorized program. And using that program as a way to drive more, more tests and more ways in which we can continue to innovate, I think, is really um, a good way. And then there are a number of policy changes that need to be made so that that 
that don't skew the 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 system thing, you know, and and frankly drive further uh, consolidation in the market, right? With when we see an outpatient clinic being bought by a health system and then overnight the cost of that goes up, like those are the places in which we really need to make sure that we're, we're changing policy to get the most value out of the dollars we're spending. Well, that's an excellent point. And some of those instances, I think you're referring a little bit to some of the facility fees and, you know, different kind of designations of those clinics is that an enforcement issue or do we need new regulation or uh, new statutes? I think it's both. I think there are things that could we could do more with the current structures that we have, but clarity is always important um, and making sure that we're doubling down on, on particular policies that we think will drive efficiency. So I think it's probably both. And of course, uh, this administration, I think, has really built on um, many of the successes in the Obama administration with respect to the Affordable Care Act, the individual market, and getting many more people covered. Some terrific enrollment figures just come out of the administration. We also know, though, that some of those subsidies at the lower income level can make a big difference. Congress is thinking about extending those increased subsidies. How important do you think that is, or are there some other steps that Congress should be taking right now? I absolutely think coverage is foundational and essential, but it's not the only thing. And I think we were just talking about other changes that are needed. But at, when we think about coverage, I absolutely think we need to make it easier uh, for middle class families to afford health insurance and not feel locked into their job just to keep their health insurance. So I absolutely think that needs to be at the top of the list, which is continuing those additional subsidies. But if I could hearken back to one place where North Carolina has a black eye, it's in the fact that we have not expanded Medicaid here, which means half a million folks in North Carolina alone um, that if they lived in an expansion state would have coverage right now. And so I do think that there are um, options that folks are looking at at the federal level for solving for the few states that are left that have not expanded Medicaid. And there's some big states, obviously, Texas, Florida, North Carolina, um, and others. So I do think Congress needs to uh, take a look of how they can step in here as well and make sure that our low-income populations that are working um, are covered and not forget that population as well. So yes on subsidies, but a, a, a yes on coverage options for those that are caught in that gap. Well, and I'm so glad you underscored these are really working Americans that we're talking about. And, Absolutely. Uh, I think that sometimes that gets lost a little bit in the discussion. Another federal program near and dear to our hearts at the Alliance of Community Health Plans, of course, is Medicare Advantage, now with 28 million beneficiaries and growing exponentially, as you know. I'm curious what your vision for the future of MA might be, you know, I'm thinking a lot about baby boomers. They've had such an impact on history from the moment they were born. And is that program ready to serve baby boomers? 
I think that there are certainly improvements that are needed in the program in order to make sure that they can serve the serve baby boomers over the long term. But I, I think there are a lot of strengths with, with the program in terms of allowing flexibility um, to deliver tailored benefits to the, the population. I'm, I was really excited to see flexibility in the MA program to start thinking about the social determinants, which I don't love, love the, that, that, that term, but the, but the non-medical drivers of what keep people healthy and our seniors healthy. And we know that it, it's, it's stable housing and food and transportation and all of those. And so I was excited to see Medicare Advantage really start to allow the flexibility in that space. I, I will say I think that there is always a lot of accusations around game playing with risk adjustment in the the MA program. I think there's a lot of good that can be done if CMS could take risk adjustment off the table as a distraction because, I, I, like I said, I think there is a lot that is very good about MA and the flexibility and the kinds of benefits that it, it delivers. And so there are some policy fixes, but I, I see it as being a, a, you know, a major part of how we serve in our, our populations in a tailored way. I think Allidade and the, the role that I'm going to you know, take on there, one of the reasons I, I was excited about Allidade is they're not Medic, uh, Medicare Advantage exclusive. They serve traditional Medicare, Medicaid, commercial. And, and I think that that's important too, um, to make sure that we can have care models that, that aren't dependent on just one type of payer. Agreed. And and I think also enabling innovation, which I, I would certainly say Allidade has been known for from its from its beginnings. And and I think with the, the new division that you're standing up, we we should probably expect even even more of that creativity to come out. Final thought, and it's another topic that we're super excited about here at ACHP. We sometimes call it care anywhere. It's telehealth, but it's more than that. We have a number of our member companies across the country that have really been fantastic with hospital at home or care in the community models. And it's it's meeting patients where they are, it's convenience, it's potentially a better value. Where do you see all of this going? Well, if there was one silver lining of COVID, and I know, I don't, I don't know that I would have wished COVID on us just to get to the silver lining, but as we all got a lot of really good experience in <laughs> telehealth um, and really realizing that we can integrate telehealth into workflows, that patients like it. Now, I think we have a lot of refinement to do. When do we use telehealth? When, when do we really need to see someone in person? And I think that is exactly why a putting telehealth into a value context, right, where you already have the aligned incentives that telehealth and virtual care and home care, right, all the, the range of different things make sense because value is really about trying to deliver the right care at the right time in the right setting. And, and it aligns all of those financial incentives around good health outcomes. So if the best health outcome is going to come from hospital at home, terrific. But if it's going to come from having that person in the brick and mortar of the hospital, let's let's do that. So I, I do think we have some learning to do about where are the right places to integrate virtual care versus something, uh, you know, that's 
virtual with with maybe some additional in-person support at home. I think we'll we'll be I mean, I think a lot of us are trying to uh, quickly figure that out and where we can deliver the best care for patients. But I'm excited. I think it, COVID's given us the opportunity to show it's possible that people want to do it. And so there's a lot of opportunity here. Well, the time always flies by on Healthy Dialogue. Uh, but I just want to say, again, a great congratulations. And thank you, Dr. Mandy Cohen. Great to be with you, Cece. Thanks, everyone. Stay well. So terrific catching up with Mandy. You know, mountains of evidence have shown that what we're doing right now doesn't work. The question is whether we have the appetite for a new value-based care system, one that recognizes the burdens of poor health, not just from a physical or financial perspective, but in terms of our emotional well-being and the vibrancy of our communities. When you ask the members of the Alliance of Community Health Plans about value, they talk about drawing the shortest, straightest line from examination to diagnosis to treatment and ultimately health outcomes. They also talk about prevention and managing health. It's a proactive approach to care. Because isn't that what we all want? A system that keeps us healthy My conversation with Mandy really underscored the challenges we face as an industry and society resistant to change and perhaps hooked on fee for service. But she also showed us the push for value is real and achievable. Next Tuesday, we'll hear about President Biden's ambitions for the nation and his plans to move us beyond the public health crisis. And keep an eye on the ACHP website and social channels for our take on the State of the Union. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Healthy Dialogue. Learn more about the Alliance of Community Health Plans at ACHP.org and click the Add to Contacts button to connect directly with our team. We hope you'll also find us on Twitter at underscore ACHP and on LinkedIn.